0: welcome to board game binge the place where we bring you bite-sized bingeable board game content from across the industry i'm your host james staley and in this episode we're chatting with greg bro owner of rocket slug games and publisher of the successfully funded wars of iron peak in his career in illustration in the video gaming industry Greg acquired skills needed to create a fun game full of minis and beautiful fantasy artwork. Greg, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing?
1: Oh, thanks, James. I'm doing good. How are you?
0: I am doing great. Let me just start by saying that your company name is probably one of my favorite company names I've come across. Rocket Slug Games. When I see the picture of this slug with a rocket strapped to his back, it just brings me <laughs> ultimate joy. I absolutely love it. How did you come up with the name?
1: Uh, I, I, I to be honest i have this buddy Joel and he we were just goofing around with with company names and he said what about a rocket slug and we we kicked it around and i thought i just thought of the imagery in my head and i thought that would be pretty cool to have it and i said how about if he's strapped onto this rocket and he can't he can't do anything and he's he's literally going along with this rocket so that kind of feels like my whole experience with everything so
0: Maybe it's my yeah, twisted so- sense of humor, but I, I got a good <laughs> laugh out of it. When you sent me your logo, I'm like, oh, that is just awesome. Yes. absolutely love it. So let's start off. Actually, I want to just congratulate you. You had a, a great campaign. It's a couple years old now, uh, but it's worth mentioning that you hit, I think it was about $21,000. i am going to say this in Canadian dollars because it's always bigger. Uh, $21,000 on a $12,000 uh, goal. So uh, yep. I think that is one 175% of your goal, which is just fantastic. 375 backers uh wow that that must have been pretty exciting when you uh when you achieved that
1: it was uh it was honestly i i had done a previous kickstarter and that didn't work out too well so i learned from that and uh, i adjusted things uh the twelve thousand dollars believe it or not would not i mean if you see the game with the minis would not have met production where i i would have been kicking a lot of money for that um at even more than i did now so the that just barely covered production and some of the shipping from China. So,
0: so that was quite yeah. a risk you took, I guess, then, eh, if, yeah. you, if, yeah. if you know, that your target's not going to cover off, uh, your costs, you, you're yeah. either a know that you've got some cash aside side that you can inject or B you're hoping and praying that you're going to way overshoot that target. That's uh I, that's quite the risk. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did. I, I had some cash saved up and I was
1: gonna yeah. I was prepared to spend it on it, but uh I mean I haven't had have my taped up micro microphone headset, so you know, <laughs> didn't have much to spend, but yeah, it just it just got production. Uh a lot of the backers I'm sure a lot of Kickstarters feel like this. A lot of the backers don't know really what happened in the background and they don't know the money that was kicked in, but you know, it I got it out and all the shipping I paid for myself for
0: United States and international. So yeah, it's interesting, actually, if you read uh, Jamie Stagmeyer's book, and I know I've gone on about this several times on different uh, episodes of the podcast, but I am a big fan of the book. Uh, Check out his website as well. Lots of uh, lots of great advice on there as well. But one of the things he covers off in the book is he says, you know, people sometimes make the mistake if they set this huge goal and really the ideal target should be, okay, if I've got a pile of cash that I, I can like, you know, well, how much can I inject in? Okay. So the total cost of what you think that thing is going to cost, less what you can inject in is what your target should be. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes you see these campaigns where people kind of I don't want to use the word greedy because I don't think it's greed. I think it's um misunderstanding of of really how big of a mountain that is to climb in some cases, if right. especially if you don't have all the things kind of firing on all cylinders. And uh, the lower that target, the the better chance you're going to have of hitting it early, which then is going to drive algorithms, which is going to help, um, sure. you know, keep things going and so forth. So. Um, let's get kind of. I want to take a little of a, a rewind back and get sure. into kind of your background. So, you uh were in the video game industry, and so what did you do in the video game industry? Were you like an illustrator or something? Or,
1: uh, no, I, I did 3D graphics, so environments, characters, textures, just modeling, uh, weapons, armor, anything just for Dark Age of Camelot, Middle Earth Online, um, and worked for EA Sports, so oh, cool. Tiger. And unfortunately worked on. Superman, if you remember the, the earlier Superman Returns, which just, just that basically just tanked and <laughs> <laughs> lots of money, but it, it, was, a, it was a good experience. Um, yeah. Tiger Woods, NASCAR. So I did a lot of the graphics that you see uh, in game. So um, oh, that's, cool. that's kind of where I started. But I started out in illustration. My brother, Mike, had worked for uh, TSR back with Gary Gygax. And I always went to Gen Con. So he always brought me back there to see like the artists. So I have a picture with you know Larry Elmore from um, TSR. He had, you'd know his paintings. But I yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, went and visited with Larry Elmore and Keith Parkinson and just went into a room with just tons of easel paintings and these guys sitting around. And I didn't know they were the amazing guys that they are. And uh, that really got inspired me to, to go forward with illustration. And then my brother said, hey, you, you know you can use computers, right? To, to do this stuff. <laughs> so so yeah so i, I uh, you know i have to credit my brother for my brother doug for getting me into computers that's awesome
0: so. and then uh parallel to that is how long have you been in uh in kind of board game industry and playing have you been playing board games your whole life is it something you got into later in life or
1: so when i was 13 my brother mike who
0: worked at tsr brought me
1: home just a stack of goblins and he's like oh let me show you what i work on because he was an editor and writer and he did book of layers and we set up this little i had a train set with like a cavern he set up these little goblins and he he taught me how to fight and from then on i'm like oh send me modules and he sent me tons of stuff so that kind of started out my love of DD. but that's when i was younger and i'd gotten to video games and board games as you know were not so popular they fell by the, the wayside yeah so I started a lot of video games and then got into video game industry and not until maybe seven years ago that I, did I think I, you know, I should work on a board game because the video game thing, you need programmers, artists, and everybody to stick together to make a successful game. Um, and I tried that a lot. I tried that a lot with a lot of projects and uh, especially getting programmers to stick. Yeah. So, so, so I, I decided I can do the art, um, I could try to do the sculpting. I actually started learning how to sculpt with the 3D, with the with not in 3D in traditional traditional clay. Oh wow. Um, okay. Yeah, that was that was rough. I'm like, <laughs> is this how they do it? With the pins, making chain mail, putting the pin in. And <laughs> yeah. they're like, oh, so so I did that. And then my my other buddy said, Hey, you know, you can do that on three in three D and then just print them out. And back then printers were not really home use. So I went to Shapeways and ordered prototypes and did all the 3D art. So uh, yeah, so then I got into doing my own board game and it's worked out. Um, So is it
0: the the game that you end up, um, Dwarves of Iron Peak, was that the first game or did you, so the, when you took a kick at Kickstarter before, was that this game, you tried it once and then you came back again, or was it a different game altogether?
1: That was, that was this game. It was basically eight dwarves and you fought this, this troll. Yeah. And it's got a u- unique uh, mechanism in it where you, the Lancers, the Dwarven Lancers, have a toothpick and they stick the toothpick in a uh, troll's foot to yeah. pin it down and actually play the troll. And then they can run around and do whatever they want or try to kill him. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's kind of that's how it was. But with the first Kickstarter, like you were like you were saying, I asked way too much. I actually asked what the production costs. Yeah. which was 23,000. <laughs> and so in that just, it, I, I mean, it, it was, as you know, the Kickstarters ramp up and then they hit a ledge and they just kind of kite along that edge and yeah. then they go, they, they skirt up at the end. Um, and I just was trying to calculate it out and I, I just, I decided canceling it was better than having it fail Right. Uh, so I could retool it. So I retooled it and add, added more quests and more miniatures and um and changed the name. Everybody it was called hoarders and it was everybody said, Is that like the TV show? Do I just hoard a <laughs> bunch of stuff and have dead cats under <laughs> under under things? So uh yeah, it was confusing. So I had to just retool everything.
0: Well Dwarves of Iron Peak is definitely a, a cooler name. So definitely. Talk to me about how, so it's, a, it's now it's described as a two to four player game. The playthroughs I've seen is kind of, is like two player where it's, you know, the, the troll versus the dwarves. How does this game vary for the different players? Like, so if you want to do say three players or four players, like, how does that work out?
1: So it, it's a short skirmish game. There's, there's eight dwarves. Um, but since the Kickstarter and, uh, Previously, I had added, um, oh, sorry, my screen just switched. <laughs> so I added, the, there's the goblin, um, there's there's three spiders, there's the troll. Um, so you can basically split them up, and now they have the colored bases as well. So um, you can split up the dwarves into mm-hmm. sets of four. Um, someone can play the, the two sets of dwarves, um, the spiders and the goblin and the troll, and you can split them up into a three or four player game. So I got you. Um, you just have to be more careful. Something like if you're playing the spiders, you just have to know that they're they're one shot kills, um, and just play a little bit more cautiously and and help each other. Like the troll would have to defend you a little bit. And um,
0: so, how do you play the game? So it's it's uh, I guess it's not really D and D. This is more of like tactical skirmish. Can you explain to our listeners the difference between kind of? Sure traditional D and D and, skirmish type games. Uh, cause as soon as people see trolls and, and dwarves and things like that, you automatically assume it's, it's D and D, right? So, um, it's, it's just played
1: with a six sided die. You can see them right there. The, the green and blue B- blue is for the dwarves and a uh, troll has green. Um, it's just basically to, to hit. So the dwarves will have a three or above or four above to hit the, the troll will have a four above to hit spiders um, above a three so they're very similar to hit mechanic mechanics in there so if you basically hit um and, and things just really do one point of damage in in there on um, the troll it gets a little bit more tricky because he's got a whole player sheet where you're hitting different parts of his body mm-hmm. um the cool thing is it, it, it has six quests um and the first three quests are this creature called Merkmore. Mm. and he's got some lore behind him which i, I can uh tell you about later, but he's got some lore behind him. The first three quests are Merkmaw, and then the first three quests, the last three quests are the troll. And you're getting things like uh, the sigil, and then at the end, you have to destroy the troll. Uh, And the first three quests, you have to destroy Merkmaw, and he's got, uh, he's actually uh, got tentacles and a big head and stuff like that.
0: Now isn't there one where you have to collect treasure, like get the trolls' treasure, get in and get out, get out or yep. something like that? Or yeah, yep. that's that's quest uh, five.
1: So you mm. have to get in there. There's three piles of treasure. Yep. and this is actually how the game started out. Me and me and one of my buddies are like, oh, it's a big troll, and what do you have to do? So he basically hides this dwarven sigil under one of the piles of treasure, and it's it's a little bit of a bluffing game where if he moves towards this pile, you think, ah, oh, it's, it's um, he, that's where it is because he's defending there. Right. Um, but sometimes he's just tricking you and he's going to he's going to come in and destroy you with this hammer. He's got a big hammer that he can he can strike out with um, two spaces. There's also cards that are kind of short little game breaker cards like you can break a lamp if it's in the troll's foot. So if the dwarves gather around him. Mm -hmm. uh like they they are they are there he can hold that card and then they think they they've pierced his foot so that foot can't move they think yay and then he plays that card and just destroys all of the the dwarves that are around his foot um so there's there's some there's some cool little things like that all the games that i've played um it's it the game turns on you you think you're going to win and it turns it turns mm-hmm. back so it's it's pretty unique as
0: far as it turning back and forth as to who's going to win and it's a quick game too you're talking about 20 yep. 30 minutes right from what i've yep. seen. yep 20 30 minutes yep. now i'll describe for the listeners uh so if you go to uh rocket slug games.com and check this out you'll see uh you'll see the game you'll see kind of how the board is set up and you know kind of this trolls layer um what i think is really cool is these feet Right, so these two feet that are moving around the board, these giant feet are representing the troll, I guess, as he's walking. I guess he's so big that the yep. so the dwarves, all they can see is his feet, they can't see the rest of his body. But right. he's got a huge hammer that can come down and I guess club the dwarves and he can step on dwarves and things like yep. that, right? Yeah. Now when these it's very are... satisfying to step <laughs> on the dwarves. It's
1: very, very satisfying.
0: And it's so, I'm sure it's satisfying to pierce the uh, the troll's foot if you're yeah. a dwarf too. But right? there is so, a cool
1: thing, if if yeah. a lancer, a dwarven lancer, the guys who hold the lancers, if yeah. you do step on them, they 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 brace themselves. Ah. They die, but they also do some massive damage under his foot. So that actually, so it's not too satisfying. It's satisfying when you're crushing them, but you do take some damage if those guys are armed.
0: Oh, nice. And so, of course you yeah. can see that. So this is a, it's a strategic move yeah. you're making, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to take right. that guy out. Although I'm going to, going to take some damage. Yeah. Now the, when you move those feet around the board, the one thing I was trying to figure out is, um, do they have to stay like a maximum distance? Like they can't go a certain distance apart from right. each other because they're representing yeah. them walking. Right
1: it's one hex so basically if this is the 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 heel right. um you can't have more than two hexes gotcha. away from the other foot and he can't do he's a big troll so he can't do any ballerina move. ballerina move. moves so uh, between those you know he's not a ballerina and the two hex thing you you begin to understand how he can he can move it's it, it is a little tricky moving the troll at first but definitely satisfying crushing those guys
0: and when his foot is pierced is the front of the foot kind of stationary then until that gets healed and then just yeah, the, 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 just the, the heal- whole
1: foot yeah the whole foot stays still but mm. the cool thing is you can still move the other foot yeah. around to get to to get dwarves mm. um there's two warriors and they have special abilities where if they can get in his blind spot and do mer- more damage from behind him um, and they're kind of defenders. They also have like, like um, space Hulk. If you ever played space old timey space Hulk, okay, yeah. uh, attack of opportunity. They can put this um, uh, defense stance. So if a spider or the troll's foot steps in around them, they get a free attack. Um, so they're the defenders of the the lancers, the great lancers that uh the dwarves. Oh, that's so, cool. And
0: they're the- all dwarves yeah so and, the, <laughs> and the lances uh, come out too right so you can remove the lances and put right. them in and stick them in the foot and so forth and and then the color bases you said that's what to i guess differentiate team players is that yep, what those this
1: there's four blue and four four red um and so those you can that's that's more for the four, um three and four player aspect of it but uh
0: and how'd you come up with the idea for this game? Like mechanically, this kind of skirmish versus, like, kind of a classic D and D game, where it could be a campaign going for a while, these quick little battles. Like, where'd you come up with the idea? To just I,
1: I caught up a bunch of Foam Core when I decided, hey, I, I'm not going to do the video game thing anymore. I'm going to do. I'm going to go the board game route. Yeah. Um. I am I thought, oh, I can I can do I can I can do a little bit of design. And granted, uh, I'm not the best designer, but I thought, okay, there's dwarves. And what are they going to fight? What are they going to do? So I, I literally cut up foam core and I was sticking the toothpicks or actually I wasn't using toothpicks. I thought uh, eventually I stuck toothpicks in. I'm like, wouldn't this be cool? Because we're eating pizza and something at that time. I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if I could get these? And my buddy said, well, how are you going to get them to stick in their hands? And like, I, so that was a lot of crafting with, yeah, with traditional sculpting and then eventually 3D to get the toothpicks to stay in their hands. So when I actually sent those away to manufacturing, um, the manufacturers said, "Oh, we can't make toothpicks." I'm like, no, "No, no, you just you just need to put eight toothpicks in that they hold them," and it took me about two weeks to explain that these toothpicks come go in and out of their hands and they just fit in there. Even I, I showed even a video of me saying, "Look, they yeah," there. <laughs> but eventually it was. Uh, so I I think that part of it is a, a fairly unique thing about the game part about the game
0: so wow and then the artwork so did you do all the artwork i mean these miniatures are 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 pretty impressive like they're very very detailed for people to collect minis i'm sure would absolutely love that. Used to be able to paint them who who did your artwork for you Uh, i
1: i did all the artwork oh wow Um, like i said i did have an illustration background and the sculpting i basically had to learn but I, i had i've always always messed around with 3d and um, I got into ZBrush and I, again, I had started doing them traditionally and then in, in ZBrush and doing 3D. So I did all the art. It, that's why it took me a very long time. And even after, after the Kickstarter, yeah. There were of course edits, you know, edits to everything. So yeah. I did that and I, I had a f- had a few people work on the rule book with me and editing. Um Richard Borg, he lives right down the street from me. So I brought my rule book to him and he he just slashed it apart and did like two days worth of editing and gave it back to me. And I I had to rearrange everything in a program I just I didn't know for layout. So so yeah, that's uh, I did. The artwork It was. I. I have many hats during that campaign. A lot of the. <laughs> a lot of the backers just don't. <laughs> don't understand. They think I'm, a big company like who uh, yeah. cool many or not, and, I can give all this stuff. Like I had free shipping on U.S. Uh, shipments, and um I gave a lot of the international backers, some discounts and stuff like that, and that really that really hurt where a bigger company it wouldn't affect so much, you know. So
0: did it actually, did your campaign break even at least or was it uh, like oh, a no. sunk cost or no?
1: Oh no, no. So um, it was about 22,000 altogether. Yeah. Uh, so far I have chipped in around another $9,000. Wow. As far as shipping, yeah, the shipping is, especially the international and nowadays is,
0: is oh, pretty it's, bad. Yeah, way higher. And the, so. Yeah what a lot of people do is sometimes, and I mean, I've even done this on campaigns. You take a loss when the, the campaign's first launched, but you have extra inventory that's made that then you can slowly sell over time and recoup and hopefully get back to that, at least break even. We're, did you have extra units made or how did that work?
1: I do. They're all sitting in this black room back here that my kids <laughs> are so sp- supposed to be sleeping in, but yeah. <laughs> Your home warehouse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have, a, I was okay. going to rent a storage unit and I'm, I'm like, I can just use this room. Um, and we all kind of share a room upstairs and it's, you know, uh, labor of love. I wanted to do it. So they have sitting behind me there in a bunch of boxes and I'm trying to get rid of them as as I,
0: as I go. So you're solely selling these off your website, I guess is, uh, how how it's going. And, um, so, and I I just want to say for the listeners is that, you know, you made the comment that, you know, sometimes people don't understand um, the amount of work that goes into these. And for the most part, I think in this industry where you have this independent game industry, which is just a beautiful thing. And you touched on it earlier, how it's really reemerged, right? Cause it was pretty much dead, uh, when right. video games took off in the nineties and gaming consoles got so much better with their graphics board games, for the most part, it, it was a death nail. Right. and kickstarters really allow this industry to come back and f- and really do very well uh where you know there there's there's thousands of games uh tens of thousands of games done every year now uh, which yeah. that wasn't the case in the past but it takes a lot of work and often it is just an, an individual one person that's got a passion project maybe a skill set they've learned in another industry that they can lean on a bit it's not going to cover off all the things you have to learn in that campaign right but it's going to allow you to uh, maybe cover off some of the things you would you you know, normally have to farm it to someone else. In this case, illustration and, and things like that. So, right. I think it's important to mention that that, you know, this is a massive achievement to to hit what you've hit uh, on your own, uh, coming from zero games uh, published before that. I think is uh, pretty impressive. So Thank you. It, I do want to give you kudos for that. Yeah, it,
1: it was rough. <laughs> it was it was very very rough. Yeah. A lot of a lot of hats, and eventually I I realized, oh my god. I, I have to be the logistics guy I have to, I have to do the oh, shipping yeah. and i I am just now trying to get my marketing hat back on to yeah. you know because I have games here and I, I have to do some videos and and market it so I can I can sell more of them and uh, just with life it's just it's just difficult to get back into life and work and everything going on now it's yeah. difficult.
0: It's a challenge. So what are some of the the lessons you would say you learned during that, uh, during that Kickstarter campaign? Some things that if, you know, now looking back, you're obviously wiser, right? You've, you did two campaigns. The first one uh, wasn't Mm -hmm. successful. Second one was successful. (laughs) Um, And then there's varying measures of success, but I'm going to say successful. What are some things that you've learned that now you'd say, okay, if, you know, if I do this again, this is something I'm going to change. Uh, Well, you, you said it before
1: is just if, if you have, if you have five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars, take that away from the goal that you have to make to manufacture the game. Another thing is, don't do a minis game <laughs> as, as your first project, because just even just organizing the minis and getting you know steel plates and the cost for those um, and all of the, everything, it was just a nightmare as far as the miniatures went. To make them, I had the prototypes. I'm like, oh, I'll just send them away and done. But there's a lot more to it. Um, so now I, I would just do cardboard, wood, um, anything. And let your stretch goals push that forward and have it yeah. prepared. So you yeah. have an artist that, hey, can you do up these few sample pieces for me? I have these cardboard guys. But if stretch goals hit, I'm going to do minis. But only do one or two. I, I just want to show it show it off with, if for a stretch goal. So i mean mean, have it in the plan, but yeah, cardboard, wood, (laughs) card, a card game,
0: you know? Yeah. And just to to touch on the minis, because I'm actually going through this on another game right now. um, A couple of things I want to say that one for photography. Uh, I mean, if you, if you look uh, at uh, at Greg's site, you'll see he's got 3D renderings that are turning and they're very detailed and you have a good idea what that mini is going to look like when you receive it. You don't necessarily need to have those minis made ahead of time right you can use oh, digital course. representation 3d yeah. printers there's yep. de- they're everywhere now so everybody knows a buddy that's got a 3d printer or knows somebody sure. they can reach out to get yep. one set done cm so for the photography for your game yep. um, but i don't think people necessarily realize a, a, a mold cost to do a mini could be anywhere from two to four thousand dollars right is what you're looking yeah. at just for a mold right and then you got. Anything about it makes me almost want to pass. Makes out me want right to here. puke. Yeah, <laughs> and so you got to try to spread that uh, yeah. across uh, across the the sales of your game, right? So, you know, when people see a, a mini heavy game, uh, I have a new appreciation of that. Like I look at Queen Bee behind me, which is just the miniest of the heaviest of mini games I think I've ever encountered. I can just I just shudder to think of what the mold costs were for that game, yeah. right? It is it is insane. So. Um, so that, that, that's a good learning. Anything else in terms of like logistics that you do differently?
1: Um, it,
0: it's, it's all
1: about timing. So like you said before, my Kickstarter went off and then it waited, you know, I had some th- stuff going on Yeah. two years. Shipping actually changed within that time. So shipping to like the UK, it was like 20 bucks. Now it's like $60. So, yeah. um, yeah. So yeah, just do that Kickstarter and get it out. And, and I would do shipping after the fact, like all the big guys do that. Now they, they do shipping after the fact. So, because it, stuff changes, you know, do, do an
0: estimate on your Kickstarter campaign and, but do shipping after the fact. Um, yeah. And put really, the disclaimers in there too, that these are my estimated shipping rates based on the information I have right now. Right. Uh, and put the disclaimer in there that it may, you know, you're going to do your best. To, 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 keep the rates, uh, based on your estimates, but the disclaimer that, you know, they, they could come in higher. I mean, COVID is a great example of this where, yeah. um, anybody that was creating, had a game all set, ready to go last January, right. COVID hits all the rates that they had put in their campaign are, are out the window, right? Yeah. Like the rates are substantially higher than what they would have even uh, quoted when, um, you know, when their campaign finished. And it is beyond their control that you can't yep. control something like COVID impacting shipping rates as a reality. So it's important to kind of protect yourself in there too. And, you know, make sure you have the, you know, as you said, if you can collect that, that shipping up, uh, you know, after the campaign closes, put the right. disclaimers in, I think you'll be, uh, you know, better served for those people.
1: You gave me a, you gave me a shiver there thinking that if I had a, had a campaign I've been working on since January and then COVID hit, oh my God, that's hard. Yeah.
0: So what is up okay. next for you? So you have this campaign uh, that is completed. There's lots of learnings. It's behind you. It's been a few years now. Uh, are you taking a, a kick at another game or you, you got another one coming or what's, what's the next thing you're going to do for Kickstarter?
1: So in, in the current game there, there, like as I said, mentioned there's a creature called Merkmaw yep. and he's got a big head that devours dwarves that get into the muck around his head. He's got four tentacles that that whip and they drag dwarves to you, but they're only cardboard. And he was added, you uh, uh, during the Kickstarter. I had him kicking around, but he was added during the Kickstarter. He's just cardboard, because I thought, oh, I'll throw another mini, and then just, you know, nightmares. I said, no. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's just cardboard. Um, so the next is just going to be a tiny little expansion that includes his, his head. Um, t- this is me learning again. His head, his tentacles. Um, the quests will be available online for you to print out. There's no printable um i mean there's no nothing physical that i'm going to ship to people besides the head and i actually have one here this guy the, the
0: heads and so for people listening he's held up yeah. a mini that's just loaded with teeth coming out of his head and now he's got these, these tentacles he's he's uh, tentacles, as yeah. well so there's much four control like speed i guess that they'll move around the board kind of together but separately from the main body i guess right
1: it's very unique you move the head yeah, separately from these these uh the, the tentacles that can go eight spaces away he can submerge he can heal that's cool um he has a lot of cool little things he can do so yeah that's that's uh and people will be able to print him out like i uh, have the 3d printable um pieces for him as well people can uh do a tier four so um i am learn i'm learning so i had all of these produced uh in the united states so there's no shipping from any outside sources oh, nice. um so, yeah, uh, and I've got those on, you know, I have those on hand, uh, at least for
0: some people. Um, but So, yeah. if people want to find out about your game, if they want to order your game or if they want to contact, how best do they reach, reach out to you? Uh,
1: just rocketslug.com. Yep. So it's rocketsluggames,
0: rocket slug right? Dot com or RocketSlug. Rocketslug,
1: either one, rocketslug.com or rocketsluggames.com. Yep.
0: Awesome. Well, everyone, anyways, listening is looking for that. You'll know you find it when you see a slug attached to a rocket screaming its face off as it flies through the air.
1: Actually, the trolls, like you're screaming at you first, if you go to the <laughs> let me scroll down. Yeah, you'll uh, see him. <laughs>
0: well, Greg, thank you so much for your time. I do appreciate it. And I can't wait to see the next campaign you do. I want to wish you and your family all the best in a very thank prosperous you. 2021. You take it. You as well, man. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers this has been an episode of the board game binge podcast hosted by James Staley produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group board game binge and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.